Hi everyone, and welcome to How to College for First Gens, our podcast where we get together over some coffee to have real conversations about what it's like to be a first-generation college student before, during, and after college. If you're a new listener, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about being a first-gen, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges that we've experienced by sharing lessons learned from fellow first-gens. I am Norma Torres-Mendoza, one of the podcast co-hosts, a first-generation college student myself who also experienced the roller coaster of this journey. Today, we will be discussing the topic of identity formation. Shakespeare once wrote, to be or not to be, but the question we will be discussing today is whom to be. This question plays an even more critical role for first-generation college students as they become the first ones in their families to experience that transformation that college can bring. For some, the question of who am I is a question of habits, beliefs, and values. For others, identity takes the form of boxes that are supposed to be checked and boxes that they decide to check for themselves. For others, it has everything to do with their external world, like the communities that they navigate and are part of. Join us as three first gens take us on their journey of identity formation. We will begin with our high school student, Diego, from the Rio Grande Valley. Hi, Diego. Welcome to the show. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hey, guys. My name is Diego Castillo. I just graduated high school. I'm 18 years old. And in August, I'm headed to the University of Texas at Rio Grande Valley. That's phenomenal, Diego. So today we're going to be having a conversation about identity formation. What activities did you participate in high school that helped to shape your identity? I think the two biggest activities I participated in were club soccer and volunteering at the hospital. Both gave insights into life and into who I am as a person in different ways. With soccer, I was able to develop myself by learning leadership, communication, teamwork. And in the hospital, it was more of seeing the value of human life and how something can be taken away from you so quickly and how us as people have the power to save someone's life. That's such a beautiful thing. And those two definitely shape who I am as a person right now. So let's dig into each one of them. Let's begin with the soccer. Tell us a little bit about what you did there. I participated in varsity soccer, played all four years. Just the competition aspect, the practices, the games, being with my teammates. It was an experience that really, really made me who I was because I learned how to be a part of a team and I learned how to not do everything for myself and be so self-centered and how to dish out the ball whenever someone was open. I learned how to be a part of a team. And I think that's one of the biggest advantages that any person needs to learn in life to be able to give a little bit of yourself up for the greater good. And I think that's what soccer was representative of for me. And so you realize that maybe life is about passing the ball, as you said, not about you always being the one making the goal, but knowing how to utilize different members of your team and their strengths so that you all could win. Truth to be told, I don't think I learned that until many, many years later in my life. Definitely not at 18. So I would say that you are already miles ahead. Now I want to circle back to what you did at the hospital. So tell us a little bit about what kind of volunteering 
observing you did? At the hospital, I was more of an observer. I observed a neurosurgeon and a CRNA. I spent like hundreds of hours at the hospital just seeing what they do, going through procedures, being in the actual hospital room, seeing what's going on in the actual table. It is, I still do it. It's an experience that it's just definitely, definitely changed my life. And it's changed my life in the fact that before going into the hospital, I always had this closed off, self-centered perception of myself that things were always revolving around me. And being at the hospital and seeing how many people were in need, how many diseases, all of this, it, it just opened my eyes to a whole different world, a whole different perspective that I never knew was there. And my dream to become a neurosurgeon definitely stems from being in the hospital room, seeing people spend hours upon hours saving others, and even seeing a few people pass away. And those experiences just shaped who I am as a person. And I'm so thankful to be able to work there. If I understand you correctly, you have been able to experience and see the value of life firsthand. You have been able to see some people that have come in very sick and maybe not make it out. And so I'm guessing that changes your perspective and and how you see life and how you perceive time. Yes, ma'am, it definitely did. Let's talk a little bit more about your high school experience. So you go to a school where your main goal is to play soccer. You go to Idea Toros. So tell me a little bit about why you and your family decided that you would go to a school whose number one priority was to play soccer. Can you tell me a little bit about those conversations with your parents and how you decided to do that? My parents and I have always had a very close relationship and we tell each other almost everything. It's something I value a lot. And moving from Houston and coming to the Rio Grande Valley, it was a transition. But when I lived in Houston, honestly, I wasn't the best student. I had C's and D's. I wasn't going anywhere in life. It wasn't that I didn't know the subjects. I mean, the valedictorian would call me and ask me for help on their homework. But I was too lazy to apply myself and I just didn't care enough. And all I focused on with soccer. And moving to the Rio Grande Valley, I decided I needed to step up or I wasn't going to go anywhere in life. And soccer was still my passion. And in communicating that with my parents, I still love to play soccer. But I now wanted a challenge and I wanted to apply myself academically. So when I spoke to Mr. Scott, who was the first principal of Toros, the way he sold the school to me was not only am I going to have a rigorous soccer training regimen, but I'm also going to have a rigorous educational system to go along with that. And that's exactly what I got. I got all AP classes. I got peers, very, very smart, who pushed me and challenged me constantly. Being at Toros, I was able to step up and kind of grow out of my immature skin and become who I am today. So in the span of a year, basically, I transitioned from being a C&D student in a big public high school to coming to a class of maybe only 20 people and becoming an all-A student, someone who's super dedicated to the work, super dedicated to volunteering, and I, I just changed my life. So talking to my parents and being there with them and them helping me and telling me the advantages and disadvantages of going to that school, I think they had a big part in pushing me to, hey, you know, if you really really do want to try something different, go for it. And if you think this can genuinely make you a better person and you can help yourself, then go for it. 
So many people would argue that all these choices you are speaking of, taking AP classes, deciding to no longer be lazy, as you put it, have shaped who you are today, have shaped the Diego that I'm speaking to today. Was there a moment, an instance that you said, you know what, I'm not living up to my full potential, I need to change? What helped you become this very hardworking individual that you're describing right now? The moment that made me realize that I wanted to be better than what I was, was at the end of my freshman year, a counselor from my previous school had told me that I would never get into a good college. And at the time, I believed it because looking back onto my life then, I really wasn't going anywhere. And I had not cared about anything up until that point. And during that summer, when we moved from Houston to here, I I sat here in my house where I had no furniture, nothing. And I was just in the middle of my floor. And I was just reminiscing and thinking of my choices up until then. And I was seeing my friends have some success in their lives. And I just realized like, man, I have to get my stuff together. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to be successful. And I knew the potential I had. I knew what I could be, but I just never applied myself. From that instance, when my counselor told me you'd never get into a good college until the point where I was sitting in the middle of my floor, just thinking about everything in between that time periods when I really was just like, I need to step it up. So instead of just putting words out there, I turned it into actions. I made the decisions for myself and I'm more than satisfied with the results. This moment that you mentioned with your counselor, I've heard it many times and I've heard it play very differently. Many times when counselors tell students, you are not going anywhere, instead of turning it into an actionable item the way you did, a lot of people internalize it, believe it, and then that's the end. They don't ever get up and go for it. Can you tell our listeners, what was it that made you say, you know what, I am going to turn it around and I can do it and I do have more potential because a lot of the people maybe listening to us experienced that, but then they gave up right afterwards. The biggest advice I'd have for people who are going through that situation that have gone through that situation is that at the end of the day, you have to believe in yourself no matter what anyone tells you. You're never going to make every single person in your life satisfied. And you may have made some mistakes in the past and you may not be content with what you've done previous to now, but change, it's better late than never. You can always, always change and set your mind to something and just believe that you can. Because a lot of the time when you just ignore other people and you ignore the noise and you just choose to listen to yourself and you believe in yourself, you can do a lot, a lot of good for not only others, but also for yourself. So I think just that believing in yourself and truly, truly just shutting out everyone else, that's what really helped me just become who I am. I really like this concept that you're mentioning of having confidence in who you are and knowing that it's okay to fail. Because I imagine that not everything was rosy for you. So can you tell us a little bit about a time when you failed during this four years in high school and how you were able to pick up yourself from that? I failed in multiple ways. And without those failures, I would have never learned from them. And I think that's one of the greatest things about failing is that it's something you learn from. It's something you grow from. I think it was my sophomore year and I had just gotten to Toros. I was doing super good academically, but in being so caught up in my academics, I was socially awkward, right? I didn't care to talk to people. I ignored people. I shut myself out from others because I had one goal in mind and that was to get 
get my stuff together. But I ultimately learned that success doesn't only come from within, but with the people that you surround yourself with. And when I chose to let those certain people in, like my certain friends and my teachers and my counselors that really, really believed in me and wanted me to succeed, I think that's when I realized like, man, I could have always been this great, but because I was shutting people out and because I was being socially awkward, I I was like belittling myself basically. Another time I failed was I was doing real good academically and I think I failed an AP test that I had certain that I passed and it took a hit. I was pretty disappointed that I failed it, but you know, you learn and you learn that, hey, sometimes you just got to work harder. You got to study harder. You got to be better than what you were. From that point on, I just took my academics even more seriously, learned how to balance everything out, learned how to manage my time between schoolwork, friends, and just being a kid. And in those failures, I just became such a well-rounded individual. It's been a great experience. You know, failure is something that it sucks at the beginning, but it's a blessing in disguise. I love how you were able to learn from all the times you failed because you're right. It sucks when it happens, right? And you're so down and you're like, I'm not ever going to be able to get up again. And yet the sun comes up again the next day. And so you got to pick up and keep on going. I want to circle back a little bit to a comment you made about friends. I think oftentimes friends do help to form our identity. And there's been a lot of research that suggests that friends are actually a bigger influencer than parents in helping you make certain decisions in your life. So can you tell me a little bit about this group of friends that you've mentioned? Who are they? How have they shaped your identity? My friends for me were a huge part of keeping me humble down on earth, keeping me straight. Because a lot of the time I would be very stressed or I would be pushing myself so hard to where I'd I wouldn't talk to them or I wouldn't just be myself. And my friends were always there for me to be like, hey, it's okay to take a step back sometimes. And they were that relief from all the stress from just the world in general. And they were there to back me up for every single thing, whether I failed, whether I succeeded. And those are the type of friends that you need. You need people that are going to motivate you and you need people that when you fail, they're still going to be there for you and going to be there for you no matter what. So having friends like that is definitely beneficial to achieving your goals, being successful in life, because you can't do all of it alone. And sometimes it's okay to rely on others and trust in others. So my friends were definitely a huge aspect of why I became who I am. And I just want to comment on the the comment that you made about parents, because for the majority of people, they do not talk to their parents as much as they'd like to, or as much as they need to. But in my experience, having a close relationship with my parents has really, really, really been one of the main aspects of why I am who I am as well. Because at the end of the day, every time I come home, every time any event, who's going to be there no matter what? If a friend backs up, who's going to be there for you no matter what? It's going to be your parents and your siblings. And ultimately, they're your blood and those are the ones you love the most. So in having that close relationship with my parents, I was able to have basically two backbones, you know, my friends and my teachers and my counselors and also my parents and my family. And they really, really supported me and pushed me. And they were there with me when I failed in any decision and any situation. So I think it's amazing to have a great friend group and to have a close relationship with your parents. 
I really like what you're saying because I too have an extremely close relationship with my mom. I mean, she's my best friend and she's probably the first person I call whenever anything's wrong and when I'm happy as well. So let's talk a little bit about once you go to college because you are headed there. There will be a lot of things that are different and there will be a lot of change for you and it will help to solidify who you are and who you don't want to be in the world. So let's start with the first piece. Are there certain values that you want to hold as you go through college? One of the main characteristics that I don't want to change about myself is my work ethic. My work ethic is what's been able to help me exceed my boundaries and to push my limits. Even though I'm a very intelligent person, even I still have limitations and there's people out there way smarter than me. But working hard, studying and pushing myself every single day, I know I can get to where I want to get. And I've always loved that part of me because I've been so successful in pushing myself and working hard. And it's gotten me to play is that three, four years ago, I would have never thought I'd be. Along with work ethic, keeping the right friend group around myself, because personally, I don't drink and smoke, and I don't party a lot either. I'd prefer going out to play soccer, or going out to eat with my friends, or playing guitar as kind of a relaxing time. And that's a value that I hold for me, and that's been successful for me, because I've seen a lot of my friends get distracted with it and go down a path to where I'm like, okay, that's not for me, it may be for you, but I want to do right by me. I want to stay on the path that I'm on because it's gotten me this far. And I know if I maintain those certain values that I hold for myself, I can continue exceeding my boundaries and pushing my limits. So it sounds like there are two things that you don't want to change and you want to continue to uphold. And those are your work ethic and a positive group of friends. Are there some values or beliefs that you do want to change about yourself that you want to be maybe a little bit more open about and that you want to use this time to maybe help to form your identity? Something I can be more accepting to is asking for help because for the majority of my high school career, it was me pushing myself to be the best student. And in doing so, I learned how to figure stuff out on my own. I learned calculus on my own because that's how Toros is structured. And that may be very tough for some people, but that skill and being able to figure stuff out on your own is very important. But there are certain times where you need to ask for help and you need someone else's opinion. And I have a hard time doing that at sometimes because I think that if I work hard enough at it, I can figure it out. But I know that there's times where, hey, you know, you, you need the help of someone else. It's okay to ask a peer or your teacher. And that's one thing that I'm definitely going to work on asking for help and working with others to a point to where you know, it's, it, it's comfortable for me. Asking for help is really hard. But sometimes, and I learned this the hard way, what took me maybe four hours, it took somebody else two hours. And so once it comes to college, your time is going to be so limited that you're just going to be like, yes, if you figured out how to do it in two, and I'm taking four, it just makes sense for you to teach me really quickly. So Diego, to finish this up, I'm going to ask you two questions. First question that I want to ask you is, who is Diego today? And then I want you to fast forward, tell me who do you want Diego to be in four or five years after you graduate from college? 
who Diego is today is a person who will stop at nothing to achieve his dream. He's someone who deeply cares about other people. He's someone who will work harder than anyone else. He'll try to do anything and everything to be the best version of himself. He's flawed. You know, he has his insecurities. He has the things that he needs to work on. But I look forward to these college experiences and being able to grow and learn from them. In the next four years, I hope to work on those flaws and continuing to put those puzzle pieces together and become who I truly want to be. In the future, I hope to be more of a complete, well-rounded person, cleaning up my flaws, being more receptive to help from others, learning how just to navigate life a little better. And I think that in four years, if I continue on the path I'm on, I can get there. Good. Well, and in four years, I also hope that you are en route to medical school to become the doctor that you want to be today. And obviously, things change. So if you happen to change your career, that's also okay. But in four years, we hope that you are also happy. And we hope that you continue to have this positive attitude that you've been able to share with our listeners. Thank you so much, Diego, for your time. We wish you the best. And please keep us updated. Thank you so much, Ram. I appreciate you for having me. Next, we will jump to our college face with Maite, who attended UT Austin. Maite, welcome to the show. Hi, Norma. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. It's our pleasure. Maite, can you tell our audience a bit about yourself? My name is Maite, and I recently graduated from the University of Texas at Austin. And it was exciting, but it was also a virtual graduation. So it was a little anticlimactic, but I'm very happy to be done. I live here in Austin, Texas, but I was born in Mexico. But I've been residing here ever since. And and right now, I am just trying to figure out what to do next. First of all, congratulations, Maite. This is a huge accomplishment. Probably it's not the graduation you were expecting and definitely not the one you wanted. But obviously, because of COVID, so many things got canceled. But do you already have your diploma in hand? Does it feel real to you? Yes, I got it delivered about two weeks ago. And if I'm being completely honest, it wasn't super exciting because I think I wanted to have that physical get up on stage graduation to make it feel real. So sometimes I feel like I'm still in college, especially since I live in the city where I went to college. But it feels more real when I don't have like the perks of being a student, like different discounts that you get at stores. When I get denied for that, like when I get billed, it's like, oh, I'm not a student anymore. I remember when I graduated from undergrad, I had to go back and change a bunch of accounts. But we're actually going to go back a little bit down memory lane. And I met you four years ago when you had just graduated from high school. And at that time, both of us had come out to talk about our undocumented status in different ways. Today, I want to talk about how that shaped your identity in college, or maybe not. And then how have you become who you are today? So let's go back to four years ago, just in case our audience don't know much about you. Tell us about what happened. Honestly, can't believe it's been four years. It was like such a long time ago. But basically what happened was when I graduated high school, I decided to make a tweet just sharing my accolades and just bragging about how I was, you know, graduating high school and I was going to go off to college. And for some reason, it just received a lot of attention. It wasn't necessarily my intention, but, you know, I woke up 
up the next morning filled with notifications. And the tweet was very simple. I basically just mentioned that I was graduating high school, I was going to head off to UT, that I accomplished a lot in my four years in high school. And I also mentioned that I was undocumented. And I think that's obviously the reason the tweet got so much attention. Honestly, it was really overwhelming because I've never been one to want a bunch of lights on me. I've never liked to be the center of attention. So it was kind of weird. But at the same time, it was kind of cool because, you know, everyone nowadays is trying to get Twitter famous. They like the attention. But as soon as I started going through the comments and the response, I started to realize that, oh, like people aren't taking my tweet the way that I intended it to be taken. I did get a lot of positive responses from it, but I also got a lot of hate and just people were very angry because I said that I was undocumented and that I didn't deserve to go to college. To me, it it was very surprising simply because growing up, I've always been very open about my status. And in a sense, I guess I was almost naive to think that my status wouldn't matter as I got older and, you know, I became more educated and I would get a job. And I guess I thought people would value me more for what I brought to the table versus where I came from. So it was very overwhelming to take in in just a span of like 24 hours. You know, my phone was blowing up. People were trying to have interviews with me. I didn't know what to do. Then my mom got really concerned about how I exposed their status. I just didn't know what to do. I'm being completely honest. Yes, I I do remember when it happened. You know, I got similar publicity because I drove my mom up to my Harvard graduation. But the difference was I was now much older. So when I did it, I decided to craft the story in a way that revolved around my mom and not around me because at that time, and I still believe that the focus of our immigration platform many times leaves out our parents. Sometimes they're like, oh, well, they are the quote unquote sinners, the ones that that brought these kids. But in reality, I wouldn't have my American dream if it had not been for my mom's quote unquote choices. And I do remember that you were like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Like people are reaching out and it's natural, right? Like that's, that's a very natural feeling to have because it's something that I don't think you expected, like you said, and it just came overnight. Did that follow you at UT? Did people know who you were? When I went to orientation before the fall semester, a lot of people recognized me. That in itself was weird because it's not like I'm a famous person. So I just thought, wow, like the culture has changed so much where people on Twitter can really become so recognized. But it was very weird when people would come up to me and say, oh, you're that girl from Twitter who tweeted about being undocumented. But almost all of the interactions I had with people who recognized me were good. Like these people. People were very happy that I spoke out. And I even had a lot of people who were in similar situations reach out to me that were also going to UT, just letting me know how my tweet helped them. Or it was just nice to see someone with a similar background speak out about something that isn't spoken about as much or is somewhat tabooed in like the immigrant community. At least my parents would tell me, you know, never reveal your status. I'm the complete opposite. It's not the first thing I tell people when I meet 
meet them, but I'm definitely very open about it. And it was nice to meet people who knew me for that reason. I guess it gave them kind of an idea of where I came from. And it wasn't something that I had to hide because I realized that so many people were very open about it and accepting. But then I felt like people only reached out to me for that reason. And it was almost like I had a stamp on my forehead that said undocumented. Anytime someone would come up to me, I'd just be that undocumented girl from Twitter versus my thin, like who I am as a person. I love what you're saying because oftentimes there is one piece of our identity, like you and me, is our undocumented status, but that is not all that we are. We're also intelligent human beings who care about other things. So tell our audience, what does Maite care about? What are some of Maite's values and other parts of your identity apart from being an undocumented student? So although I am undocumented, it is, I'm very supportive of the cause and I like to be involved. I did feel when I entered UT, I felt like I had to be part of that. But at the core, Maite, like me as a person, I care a lot about fitness. And it sounds almost cheesy, but I've gone through very difficult times in my life where I was very, very sick. You know, I was very underweight. I was not eating and it, it nearly lost me my life. So growing up, nutrition and exercising has always been something that I'm very, very passionate about because it essentially saved my life. I love fitness. I, I love moving my body. I love treating it with respect. And I love helping others get to that point as well, because even within just the immigrant community, health is not something that is prioritized. It's something that is a privilege almost. At least my family, we came here to work, to make money, to survive. And we don't think about our health as much. So it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. I love helping other people in general with anything, but especially when it comes to fitness. And that, that's just who I am as a person, someone who wants to give back, someone who's passionate about helping other people wake up and just be confident in themselves. I think what you're highlighting is so important. You're, you're 100% right. And, and not just the immigrant community. I think many times when you feel like an outsider or like an underdog, and this happens many, many times with our first generation college students, that they are literally trying to survive, that oftentimes, their health and their fitness goes out the window because not because they don't want to but because they are literally in survival mode and taking that mentality and switching it and thinking you know what I am not just here to survive I am here to thrive I think changes the perspective of how you see the world and how you see yourself so how did this manifest into your everyday life when you were at UT and when you were a student Going into UT, like I mentioned earlier, I felt like I had to be very involved within activism organizations and just different people working towards immigrant rights. And I did enjoy it, but I almost felt like I was placed there. Like It's almost like I had to do it because I made this tweet. So not everyone expected me to go out and be some sort of activist, but I don't like being the center of attention. I'm not the type of person who's going to be on the front lines of like protests 
just, it's not who I am. I, I like helping the cause, but I realized that I needed to be more than just my status in college. So I decided to, you know, move forward with the whole fitness thing. And I started an Instagram page, basically where I would just share different recipes. And it just evolved into me sharing different fitness tips. And eventually I decided to get certified for being a personal trainer. And ever since about a year ago, I've been coaching people. And it's been really fun because most of the clients that I've had have come from minority backgrounds. And it's different because a lot of the fitness space is very white. There's not a lot of people of color. There's not a lot of Latina women in fitness. And to be in a position where I can help other women who come from similar places as I did is very, very rewarding. I absolutely love it. It's what I've been doing since graduation, just continuing with the coaching. And I wonder that maybe you are an activist, you are beginning your own revolution, but it's a different revolution, right? I think when we think of activists, oftentimes, the first thing that pops into our mind are are the people out there protesting with the signs. But in reality, protesting and activism takes so many different forms. And I would argue that you are also protesting and are also an activist in what you are doing with personal training, precisely because of what you just said. There are not many people of color doing this. There are not many Latinas doing this. So I think you are an activist and I think you are leading your own revolution. Honestly, I've never really thought about it like that. But when you said that, I was like, you know what? I think she's right. I definitely feel like I'm making a difference. You know, as small as it is right now, it's something. And just to help other Latina women is extremely rewarding. And I do hope that I'm making some sort of change here because I want people to feel healthy and feel confident in their bodies. And maybe this is my own way of activism. That's a really nice way of putting it. I think you are making a big impact now that you're coaching people and you're training them. I believe that the work you're doing is not just physical, but it's also mental, changing minds and hearts. And in that line of thinking, I am wondering, was there something that fundamentally changed in your mind because you went to college? I've always known that higher education was almost the way to go for me. In a sense, it's always been put as the way for me to escape or move out from where I came from. And I always thought I just had to go to college, get a degree and get a traditional job, um, which would have been fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But as I went through college and I took different classes and most importantly, I just met so many different people with different backgrounds. I realized that I didn't want to just get a degree and get a very traditional job. I wanted to do something different, something risky. And I've always been told not to take risks my entire life, you know, play it safe. But I just thought, you know what? It sounds really cheesy, but UT saying is like, what starts here changes the world. So I really felt that as I went throughout college, like if I want to do something with my life, I have to start now. And I have to start doing something different and not be afraid of what's going to happen. So I think the biggest thing was just meeting different people with different backgrounds who all had different goals and people were taking risks and doing the things that maybe their parents didn't want them to do. And that's what really, I think, helped me move forward and do something else with my life versus just go to college and get a job. Um, I really want to do something else. I want to do something bigger than myself. I really like what you're saying 
and especially for first gens and folks from immigrant communities, I think that because there are so many uncertain things in our lives, oftentimes our families tell us you don't need more uncertainty. You just need to play it safe because there's so many other moving parts. You are looking for more than a job. I think what you're saying is you are looking for a calling, something that you and only you might they were born to do. But those moments that maybe you are afraid that, uh, oh man, maybe I'm making a mistake. What keeps you going? And what makes you think, you know what, it's okay. And if I fail, so what? There's been so many times where I'm scared because I'm not taking a traditional route. And I think the thing that keeps me going is just knowing that I only have one life. And I don't want to sound like a cliche, but I I just think about when I come to the end of my life, I don't want to go knowing that I didn't give it my all. So even if I am afraid, I think that's a sign that I'm doing something. Because if I wasn't afraid and I was just strolling through life, then I just don't feel like I would have lived to my full potential. And that's kind of my biggest fear is not living up to my full potential. Everyone's capable of doing so much with their lives. And it's just a matter of pushing through even when times get really, really hard, especially recently, times have just been really difficult with everything going on in the world. It's even riskier to keep moving forward. But I just know that I need to go through tough times in order to really reach my potential and give life all that I can. Like I want to live life to the fullest. So how do you have these discussions with your parents who I am guessing they want you to maybe have a nine to five, have a stable income? If I'm being completely honest, I feel like what happened four years ago with my tweet going viral, I feel like I have not only my parents' eyes on me, but other people who look to me to do like great things with my life. So I feel pressure a lot of the times like, oh, I'm probably disappointing a lot of people. What am I going to tell people when, you know, I tell them, oh, I'm that girl that, you know, yelled about being undocumented and being so smart or whatever. And then I graduate college and I don't have a traditional nine to five or I'm not going to grad school. And I think it makes my parents really concerned because I have an older sister and I mean, she works a traditional nine to five and and she has a very stable life right now, whereas mine is kind of chaotic. So I think they're very concerned for me, but I just tell them that this is what I want. I don't want a safe life. I want to risk everything because ultimately I want to be happy with what I'm doing and I know that if I want to make a change I have to go through times of uncertainty and I'm really grateful for all that that my parents have done for me but I think it's more of just helping them understand that I I don't have to take a very traditional route. And so those conversations still seem like they're evolving as you go through and as as you realize also maybe what you want what you are willing to risk and what you're not willing to risk. If I were to describe you, I would say, yes, obviously, part of Maita's identity is that she grew up undocumented and she she was a traditional activist, but now she's leading a different type of activism work where she is changing people's physical well-being along with their mental. And the last thing maybe I would add is someone who's willing to take on a lot of risk and someone who maybe is even afraid not to take risks because of the consequences. Would 
would you agree with that? Or how would you describe yourself? Honestly, I think what you said was perfect. And I should have wrote it down because it's a really good way to describe myself. I always have trouble with that question. But I think that was perfect. And hopefully, by me taking all this risk, it opens doors for other people who come from similar places who feel like they have to go the traditional route, go to college, get a job, and not go for the things that they really, really want. And hopefully just more people find their true calling. I mean, I'm still figuring it out, but I'm definitely very happy with what I'm doing. So what are some tips or pieces of of advice that you might have for our listeners who perhaps society has already prescribed a label to their identity, but who are also trying to discover different aspects of their identity? My biggest tip would be to not listen to others, even if they're praising you or critiquing you. I think sometimes you have to find a way to stop the noise because both sides can really get to you. Like listen to yourself, like pay attention to the things that bring you joy, that bring you happiness, that fulfill you and use that information instead of always trying to see what other people are saying about you. Because I think if I were to just listen to what people said about me. I honestly don't know what I'd be doing right now. I'd probably be working like at a corporate office or something. But it's just about blocking out the noise and paying attention to the things that bring you joy. What is this big risk, big unknown that you are hoping to embark on now that you have this college degree that obviously not only gave you a diploma, but it gave you the space to take on risks I'm going to continue trying to change other people's life through fitness. Sometimes I want to start an app or sometimes I don't honestly know. I'm figuring it out as it goes. You have your guiding star, making people's lives better through fitness. How you get to the North Star for you is still an unknown. And that is 100% okay. And oftentimes, we as human beings don't even do enough reflection to know what is our North Star. So I think you already are ahead. But that's one thing I would encourage our first gen listeners to think through. What is my North Star? What is it that I am working towards? The how you get there could be a billion things. Maybe opening up a gym, maybe starting an app, maybe moving to another country and learning how they deal with physical well-being. The possibilities are endless. And I think that as long as you continue to just hold true this part of your identity and who you are, you're gonna go extremely far either way you decide to take it. I think that was worded very beautifully. I just know that I'm going to keep going. Well, you have inspired many folks. With that, I would like to thank you so much for being in our podcast. And we look forward to learning more about you and how you're making people's lives better. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. It was almost very nice for me to reflect on my own. Sometimes I think I need to ask myself these questions. And it's nice to have someone else's input. We will wrap up with our post-college phase with Veronica, my good friend from business school over at Rice University. 
Veronica, welcome to the show. Thank you, Norma. Happy to be here. So, Vero, why don't you begin telling our audience a little bit about you? So, my name is Veronica Cox. I was born and raised in Wisconsin. I got my bachelor's in business administration from UW-Madison. I graduated in 2015. Then after working for three years, I moved down to Houston, Texas to get my MBA from Rice University, and I graduated just recently in 2020. Currently, I work at Hewlett-Packard Enterprise as as a financial analyst. So I've been with HPE for about two months now, full time. Congratulations, Veronica. That is amazing. So not only did you become the first one in your family to go to college, but you're also the first one to get a higher degree. So tell me how you feel about that. It's actually really exciting. It's something that no one in my family has experienced. Even understanding or knowing to go get my master's was a struggle in itself. Everybody was kind of confused. They're like, you have a college degree. Why would you get more? So it's been a learning experience both for myself, just going through the process as well as my family and understanding there are more degrees out there. You can do more with more education. And tell us a little bit of how you decided to continue studying post your bachelor's. A lot of it had to do with talking to mentors and or advisors. So after graduating with my bachelor's, I stayed in contact with a lot of the advisors from my undergraduate scholarship program. And I was throwing around the idea of wanting to switch careers to move up. And they're the ones who planted the idea of getting a master's in business. I was also in the healthcare space. So the idea of getting a master's in health administration, but I didn't want to limit my opportunities, which is why I kind of went more the general route of getting an MBA because I knew from there I could expand my horizons more. So a lot of it was just talking to the right people and getting the right information, something I wasn't getting from my family, like having to, to branch out to those who knew more about education. One thing that we've learned from having these conversations with first-gen students is that oftentimes we form mentors and groups of folks who really give us and provide us a lot of guidance, which sounds like that's what happened to you. Oh, yeah. It's so important. Like, I know a lot of our families are like, oh, I have answers, but they don't. <laughs> like, if, until you've experienced that, you don't know everything about college or continuing education. And so it's important to find those mentors who've gone through the process and have helped other people get there. Totally. So today we're actually going to talk a little bit about identity formation. So I'm going to take this question into two phases for you. Uh, the first one will be, how do you think college itself changed you? And then the phase two for you is, how did getting your MBA change you at the core? Did I change? Yes, as a person between 18 and 22, definitely changed. But I don't think my core changed. Like, I don't think who I am as a person changed. I think what happened was I gained more experience and knowledge just by going to college from being in the classroom, learning from other people. I would say a lot of things about my identity that changed was in high school and really the early years of college, everything I did was for myself. What I mean by that is I went to college to better myself, to get a better job, gain more education. I played sports to get better at being an athlete, to staying in shape. And as I transitioned in college, probably sophomore, junior, maybe even to senior year, was realizing that I could do things to also help other people. And that sense of helping other people now is really, really strong part of my identity. And it shifted in, in feeling like I was 
was valuable because I think before college, I didn't feel like I had anything to give to anybody else. I didn't have experience. I didn't have knowledge. I didn't know what I could give to others. And once I realized that even getting a college degree is, you know, something valuable that not everybody has, I realized that I could give that back to other people. So I would say that that mentality shift in how I approach why I'm doing what I'm doing was a big part of my change in college. So what I'm hearing here is that you and what you stand for maybe did not necessarily change. And we'll dig in a little bit when we answer the phase two part of the question. But what did change was your perspective on what and how you could contribute to the world. Yeah, absolutely. Let's progress then to the phase two. Did you think getting your MBA changed who you are as a person? Or was it also fundamentally just a mentality change? So here's the difference. So I stayed in state when I got my undergraduate degree. So my mom and my sister, my nieces and nephews, they were all very close to me when I was in college. So I didn't have an environment change the same way that I did when I went to get my MBA. So when I went to get my MBA, I moved to Houston, a city in which I knew nobody, had no friends, no family. First person ever getting a master's degree. So I didn't know what I was getting myself into. (laughs) Didn't have a job. So I knew money was going to be tight. And so the difference there was that I was changing so many aspects of my life all at once when I went to go get my MBA. And that puts life into perspective because you start being able to do things on your own and understanding how to adult, putting that in quotations for everybody. And I think that's important because you grow more when you have to, like when you have to grow up and you have to realize that you have to do things on your own and that you are capable of doing it, you learn quicker. So I would say a lot of things that changed about me was that I could still love my family and have that as part of my identity and move away because that's something I really struggled with when deciding to go get my MBA in another state. Well, how's my family? Who's going to take care of them? How are they going to know I still love them? How am I going to talk to them every day? You know, if I'm not in, in the same city, if I can't physically see them. And so I had to wrestle with, I can still love and help my family and grow myself, get additional education and be a part Did you feel at some point maybe that your family thought you were maybe betraying them by going out of state? Oh, absolutely. I I wouldn't even say it was as much of a betrayal as they also didn't know, you know, what life was going to be like without me. Having an extra babysitter to, you know, help watch kids in the family, to have somebody who can you know, help pay rent at home. And I knew for two years, I was like, hey, I love you guys, but I I can't pay rent or help pay rent or bills, you know, in the next two years, I need you guys to buckle down and figure it out. And so I think it was also for them, how are we going to get by without her? What changes do we need to make in our own lives? And so it's one of those things that you question, am I doing the right thing for my family? makes sense. And from our friendship, I knew how hard and what a transitional stage it was for you to move and to completely begin from zero, if you will. And yet allowing yourself to be challenged and to take opportunities to discover who you are. So can you tell me maybe one or two instances where you felt challenged and where you allowed yourself to grow and evolve and maybe to even change a bit of your identity? One of the 
probably best experiences of the MBA for me was getting to travel to other countries. As much as I was embarrassed to say it, I had not traveled outside of the U.S. coming to get my MBA. And for me, it was like, oh, well, I'm never going to or, you know, afraid to do it because I don't know what that's like. And so being in the MBA, I was surrounded by people who were well-traveled and was able to travel with friends who weren't judging me for my lack of travel experience. Just putting it out there, if you're an undergrad and, and you can go travel, you know, study abroad, go do it. Because for somebody like me, like I didn't have that opportunity. I just felt like I should have. And so part of that is in growing up, still taking opportunities, you know, when they come available to you. So never feeling like, oh, I'm too old. I should have done that in the past. Take what's in front of you now. And so for me, that was that was traveling. Went to, where'd we go first? Costa Rica. And then visiting you out in Madrid. And so just having those opportunities to grow and to be like, I can literally, I can travel to different countries and still be okay. And just that fear of not being afraid to ask questions. I reached out to you guys. Where do I get my passport? What vaccines do I need if I need any? And just not being afraid to ask for help when you don't know what to do. And I think a lot of the reasons I wouldn't ask for help is because I'm afraid people are going to think I'm stupid, but you don't learn unless you ask questions. And so I had to get over that fear. And I admire you so much for that because I think what we've learned in MBA is that people have different expertise. People might be well-traveled. Other people might know accounting really well. And we kind of just leaned on each other to allow us to change and continue to grow. So what you learned and how your identity changed by traveling is that one, you knew it was okay to ask questions and two, that you were going to be okay regardless of where you went. And then there's another thing that I wanted to unpack that you mentioned, and and I do want to make sure I I put an emphasis on this for our listeners. A lot of the times as first gens, we are financial support for our families. If you're a first gen out there and you don't have this, that's amazing, right? But oftentimes people do lean on us financially, or even as you said, as a babysitter, how do you think having to be an extra leg of support system in your family helped to shape who you are today? a hundred percent shaped who I am. And I'm going to say it, it shaped it positively. Core to my identity is one family, but two is just community in general. If I was not needed at home within my family to feel valuable, I don't know that I would care so much about my community as much as I do. And when I say my community, I mean my local community, wherever my home is, as well as bigger picture, the black community, young women, young athletes. I see all of those different parts of my identity as parts of my community. And I don't think I would care as much about giving back if I didn't realize that essentially how blessed I was. The fact that I've had opportunities and the fact that my family could lean on me meant that I was given something valuable and that in order to appreciate the value that I was given, I need to be able to give back to others, starting with my family, which is where I give back first, but then going beyond that. And so I would say as much as we as first geners sometimes see it as a burden to have to help the family, and I I completely understand that, if I'm able to, I see it as a blessing. I've carried that with me. My life motto is lift as you climb. It's how many people can I bring up with me? And so I think obviously, yes, it was a huge factor in in my identity is the fact that, you know, my family didn't have it all and and they would have to lean on me sometimes and, and that's okay. 
Right. I do also want to point out that some people out there that are listening to this might think, yes, it is completely unfair that I have to be a student, be a worker, and on top of that, do all these things for my family. And I think that's one way to look at it. Another way is what you mentioned, which is turn it upside down and say, yeah, but how great is it that I'm able to do this for my family? Just to give you a quick example, I just spent an hour and a half at the bank with my mom and trying to set them up for a new bank account. And part of me was thinking, dang, I have so many things to do today. And the other part was exactly what you just said. What a great opportunity it is that there is someone in the family to be able to do this. Because if not, then I'm not bringing us up into this financial world where I hope my family will be. It's one of those things where it's like, even in your struggle, you find that had you not struggled, you might not be where you are. I mean, I started working when I was 16. And I'll admit, I wasn't the one putting food on the table when I was 16. My mom, yeah, she gave me everything I needed. But if I wanted to go to the movies <laughs> or do something fun, I had to provide for that. So I know people are definitely in different situations, you know, with how much they help financially or need to. But I'll say I if I didn't get that work experience starting at age 16 and working my way through college and being able to balance a job in school and coaching, you know, passions, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have the same skill sets if I didn't have to figure out how to do all of those different things at the same time. And not only do you help your family, but I happen to know you're also heavily involved in the community. So can you tell the audience a little bit about what you do outside in in your community and why? I call Wisconsin home. That's my home. It's where my heart is. <laughs> so before starting my MBA, I was involved. So one coaching, I coached at the high school basketball track, did a lot of mentoring with students there. And then my job really allowed me to work with community partners, the Boys and Girls Clubs, Urban Leagues, helping students get into healthcare jobs. And and so back then, I was always in the community. Moving to Houston, not having those connections that I had back home, it was a little bit harder to get involved in everything and definitely still a work in progress of where I will end up in the communities and what different programs I can help. But immediately I started tutoring middle schoolers and high schoolers and giving back to the community in that way, helping that aspect. And then just this past spring, I started coaching basketball again. And for me, coaching as much as it a passion in terms of getting students to love the game of basketball, it's also a way for me to connect with students and use basketball as a platform to teach life. So those those are the main ways I've been, at least in the external community. And then my Rice community was diversity and inclusion chair on our student government board at Rice. Also a huge part of my identity and passion is diversity and inclusion and equity. And then, oh, let's see, consortium, which is a diversity club, kind of just taking on leadership roles within Rice. Part of your identity and part of who you are is not just obviously giving back the way you have, but also being in a leadership position and in a role where you can potentially make an influence. So that brings me to a very important question. At the core, who is Veronica? And you might be able to answer that today. Maybe we should say at the core in 2020, who is Veronica? Three parts of my identity that just come up immediately is I would say I'm a black educated female. From the core, like you can't look at me and not see that I'm black or female. But I love to throw in the fact that I'm educated because not everybody has the opportunity to be educated. And at least in this country, there's always that stigma of the way you look, people label you. And I don't think a lot of people would just immediately look at me and be like, yep, she has two degrees. So I like to add that to my identity. After that, I would say the next core part of my identity is that I'm a daughter, sister, and aunt of 
before. Again, going back to that family, to me, it's crucial. It's huge. I absolutely love my family, missing them today. But that is definitely a big part of my identity. And then from there, it would go on to I'm a coach. And that is able to be said in many ways. I, yes, I coach sports. I tutor. I love mentoring. And I, I me- like mentoring from a variety of ages. And I, I like to be mentored, to find different mentors for myself as well to grow. And probably the best way to sum up my identity is is my life motto, or, which is lift as you climb, just because it, it really represents who I am and what I'm trying to do in this world, which is I am trying to get better. I am trying to climb the ladder. But as I do that, I want to make sure that I'm reaching back. And whether that's bringing my family along with me, bringing young students, or just those who are trying to travel the same path, just bettering themselves, that is what I am here to do. I don't want to just take knowledge and, and gain. For me, I want to help everybody elevate. Well, it sounds like you have given a lot of thought and reflection on who Veronica is today. And not only who is she, but who is she striving to be. So I'm wondering if you have any tips or recommendations that you can give our audience on how they can get closer to defining who they are and how they can utilize this transition phases, college or grad school to help them tune in more of who they are and who they want to be. First, if you can leave home, totally leave home, put yourself in a new environment where you really have to buckle down and define for yourself who you are. Yes, people can do that while at home, but I think that if you have to branch out and find new friends, you're going to better understand what type of friends you're looking for. And that's based on who you are as a person and who kind of fits with your identity and your values. Second is to accept that your identity can change. For me, sports was a big part of my identity in high school. I was an athlete. I loved going to practice. I always wanted to be in the gym. Being an athlete was was super core to my identity. But once I got to college, I didn't play college sports. And so it's like, how do you remove yourself from being an athlete and changing? So what I enjoyed about the game was being around a team and having mentors or having coaches. I enjoyed that environment. And so what I thought maybe was my identity wasn't really what was core. It was some of the components that was happening. So be open to change. And then my third piece of advice would be define what your identity means to you. So we usually use a lot of buzzwords, even when I identified as Black. I get to define what being Black means to me, not other people's idea of what I have to do or be or act or behave in order to be Black. Yes, you can label yourself and have labels that are your identity but you should be able to find what that means for you and not let others do that. Well, good. You have given our audience a lot to chew on and a lot to reflect. Those are three wonderful tips that I hope our listeners, wherever they are in their journey, can relate to. And I really like it. One, challenge yourself. Two, accept the change. And three, learn what those labels mean to you. So thank you so much, Veronica, for your time and for giving your wisdom and thoughts to our audience. Thank you. Today, we've heard from three people of how they've defined their identity and how college will or has helped them to become the person they are today. We began our conversation with Diego, a high school student who defined his identity with his values of being a hard worker, intelligent, and caring for those that needed the most. Next, we chatted with Maite, who checked some boxes outlined by society the moment her tweet went viral about being undocumented, but how she also decided to choose some different labels, like trainer, based on her own 
interest to create another side of who she's become in college. Lastly, we heard from Veronica, whose identity is a mixture of her values, the labels that society put on her, those she chose for herself, and the community she partakes in. As we learn from our guests today, personal values, interests, beliefs can and do change, and thus, different parts of your identity will be shaped as you experience this new journey. Follow us on social media and share with us how college has shaped your identity. Don't forget to leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. Remember, you are not alone in this journey. Until next time.